0: Chapter thirty nine of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Carpenter. Varney the Vampire, Volume One by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter thirty nine The Storm and the Fight. The Admiral's Repudiation of His Principle. Well said the admiral, when they were fairly under the tree, upon the leaves of which the pattering rain might be heard falling. Well, what is it? If your young friend, Mr. Bannerworth, should chance to send a pistol-bullet through any portion of my anatomy, prejudicial to the prolongation of my existence, you will be so good as not to interfere with anything I may have about me, or to make any disturbance whatever. You may depend, I shan't. Just take the matter perfectly easy, as a thing of course." Oh, I mean damned easy. Ah, what a delightful thing is friendship. There is a little knoll or mound of earth, midway between here and the hall. Do you happen to know it? There is one solitary tree growing near its summit, an oriental-looking tree of the fir-tribe, which fan-like spreads its deep green leaves across the azure sky. Oh, bother it. It's a damned old tree growing upon a little bit of a hill, I suppose you mean? Precisely only much more poetically expressed. The moon rises at a quarter past four to-night, or rather to-morrow morning. Does it? Yes, and if I should happen to be killed, you will have me removed gently to this mound of earth, and there laid beneath this tree with my face upwards, and take care that it is done before the moon rises. You can watch that no one interferes. A likely job! What the deuce do you take me for? "'I tell you what it is, Mr. Vampire, or Varney, or whatever's your name. "'If you should chance to be hit, wherever you chance to fall, there you'll lie.' "'How very unkind.' "'Uncommon, ain't it?' "'Well, well, since that is your determination, I must take care of myself in another way. "'I can do so, and I will.' "'Take care of yourself how you like, for all I care.' i've come here to second you to see that on the honour of a seaman if you are put out of the world it's done in a proper manner that's all i have to do with you now you know sir francis varney looked after him with a strange kind of smile as he walked away to make the necessary preparations with marchdale for the immediate commencement of the contest these were simple and brief it was agreed that twelve paces should be measured out six each way from a fixed point one six to be paced by the admiral and the other by marchdale then they were to draw lots to see at which end of this imaginary line varney was to be placed after this the signal for firing was to be one two three fire a few minutes sufficed to complete these arrangements the ground was measured in the manner we have stated and the combatants placed in their respective positions sir francis varney occupying the same spot where he had at first stood Namely, that nearest to the little wood and to his own residence. It is impossible that under such circumstances the bravest and the calmest of mankind could fail to feel some slight degree of tremor or uneasiness, and although we can fairly claim for Henry Bannerworth that he was as truly courageous as any right feeling Christian man could wish to be, yet when it was possible that he stood within, as it were, a hair's breadth of eternity, a strange world of sensation and emotions, found a home in his heart, and he could not look altogether undaunted all on that future which might, for all he knew to the contrary, be so close at hand, as far as he was concerned. It was not that he feared death, but that he looked with a decent gravity upon so grave a change as that from this world to the next, and hence it was that his face was pale, and that he looked, all the emotion, which he really felt. This was the aspect and the bearing of a brave but not a reckless man while sir francis varney on the other hand seemed now that he had fairly engaged in the duel to look upon it and all its attendant circumstances with a kind of smirking satisfaction as if he were far more amused than personally interested this was certainly the more extraordinary after the manner in which he had tried to evade the fight and at all events was quite a sufficient proof that cowardice had not been his actuating motive in doing so the admiral who stood on a level with him could not see the sort of expression he wore or probably he would have been far from well pleased but the others did and they found something inexpressibly disagreeable in the smirking kind of satisfaction with which the vampire seemed to regard now the proceedings confound him whispered marchdale to henry one would think he was quite delighted instead as we had imagined him not well pleased at these proceedings look how he grins it is no matter said henry let him wear what aspect he may it is the same to me and as heaven is my judge i here declare if i did not think myself justified in so doing i would not raise my hand against this man there can be no shadow of a doubt regarding your justification have at him and heaven protect you Amen the admiral was about to give the word to fire, and now he and Marchdale, having stepped sufficiently on one side to be out of all possible danger from any stray shot, he commenced repeating the signal. "'Are you ready, gentlemen?' "'Once!' They looked sternly at each other, and each grasped his pistol. "'Twice!' Sir Francis Varney smiled and looked around him, as if the affair were one of the most commonplace description. "'Thrice!' Varney seemed to be studying the sky rather than attending to the duel. Fire! cried the admiral, and one report only struck upon the ear. It was that from Henry's pistol. All eyes were turned upon Sir Francis Varney, who had evidently reserved his fire for what purpose could not be devised except a murderous one-the taking of a more steady aim at Henry. Sir Francis, however, seemed in no hurry, but smiled significantly and gradually raised the point of his weapon. Did you hear the word, Sir Francis? I gave it loud enough, I am sure. I never spoke plainer in my life, did I ever, Jack?" "'Yes, often,' said Jack Pringle. "'What's the use of your asking such yarns as them? You know you have done so often enough when you wanted grog.' "'You damned rascal! I'll—I'll have your back scored, I will.' "'So you will when you are afloat again—which you never will be. You are paid off, that's certain.' "'You lovely lout!' You ain't a seaman. A seaman would never mutiny against his admiral. Howsomever do you hear, Sir Francis? I'll give the matter up if you don't pay some attention to me. Henry looked steadily at Varney, expecting every moment to feel his bullet. Mr. Marchdale hastily exclaimed that this was not according to usage. Sir Francis Varney took no notice, but went on elevating his weapon. When it was perpendicular to the earth, he fired in the air. I had not anticipated this, said Marchdale as he walked to Henry. "'I thought he was taking a more deadly aim.' "'And I,' said Henry. "'Aye, you have escaped, Henry. Let me congratulate you. Not so fast. We may fire again.' "'I can afford to do that,' he said with a smile. "'You should have fired, sir, according to custom,' (laughs) said the Admiral. "'This is not the proper thing.' "'What fire at your friend?' "'Oh, that's all very well. You are my friend for a time, vampire as you are. And I intend you shall fire.' If Mr. Henry Bannerworth demands another fire, I have no objection to it, and will fire at him. But as it is, I shall not do so. Indeed, it would be quite useless for him to do so, to point mortal weapons at me is mere child's play. They will not hurt me. The devil they won't! said the Admiral. Why, look you here! said Sir Francis Varney, stepping forward and placing his hand to his neckerchief. Look you here. If Mr. Henry Bannerworth should demand another fire, he may do so with the same bullet. THE SAME BULLET!" said Marchdale, stepping forward. THE SAME BULLET! HOW IS THIS? MY EYES! said Jack. WHO'D A THOUGHT IT? HERE'S A GO! WOULDN'T HE DO FOR A DUMMY TO LEAD A forlorn HOPE OR TO PUT IN AMONG THE boarders. HERE! said Sir Francis, handing a bullet to Henry Bannerworth. HERE IS THE BULLET YOU SHOT AT ME. Henry looked at it. IT WAS BLACKENED BY POWDER and then Marchdale seized it and tried it in the pistol, but found the bullet fitted Henry's weapon. "'By heaven, it is so!' he exclaimed, stepping back and looking at Varney from top to toe, in horror and amazement. "'Damn you!' said the Admiral. "'If I understand this—' Why, Jack Pringle, you dog, here's a strange fish. "'Oh, no, there's plenty on em in some countries. Will you insist upon another fire, or may I consider you satisfied?' "'I shall object,' said Marchdale. "'Henry, this affair must go no further. "'It would be madness, worse than madness, to fight upon such terms.' "'So say I,' said the Admiral. "'I will not have anything to do with you, Sir Francis.' "'I'll not be your second any longer. "'I didn't bargain for such a game as this. "'You might as well fight with the man in brass armour "'at the Lord Mayor's show, or the champion at a coronation.' Oh, said Jack Pringle, a man may use whale-fire at the back of a haligator as a vampire. This must be considered as having been concluded, said Mr. Marchdale. No, said Henry. And wherefore not? Because I have not received his fire. Heaven forbid you should. I may not with honour quit the ground without another fire. Under ordinary circumstances there might be some shadow of an excuse for your demand, but as it is there is none. You have neither honour nor credit to gain by such an encounter, and certainly you can gain no object. How are we to decide this affair? Am I considered absolved from the accusation under which I lay of cowardice? inquired Sir Francis Varney with a cold smile. Why, as for that, said the admiral, "'I should as soon expect credit for fighting behind a wall, as with a man that I couldn't hit any more than the moon. Henry, let me implore you to quit this scene, if I can do no good.' At this moment a noise, as of human voices, was heard at a distance. This caused a momentary pause, and the whole party stood, still, and listened. The murmurs and shouts that now arose in the distance were indistinct and confused. "'What can all this mean?' said Marchdale. "'There is something very strange about it. I cannot imagine a cause for so unusual an occurrence.' "'Nor I,' said Sir Francis Varney, looking suspiciously at Henry Bannerworth. "'Upon my honour I know neither what is the cause nor the nature of the sounds themselves.'
1: "'Then
0: we can easily see what is the matter from yonder hillock,' said the Admiral. "'And there's Jack Pringle. He's up there already.' What's he telegraphing about in that manner, I wonder? The fact was, Jack Pringle, hearing the riot, had thought that if he got to the neighbouring eminence, he might possibly ascertain what it was that was the cause of what he termed the row, and had succeeded, in some degree. There were a number of people of all kinds coming out from the village, apparently armed, and shouting. Jack Pringle hitched up his trousers and swore, then took off his hat and began to shout to the admiral as he said, Damn you, they are too late to spoil in the sport. Hello, hurrah! What's all that about, Jack? inquired the Admiral as he came puffing along. What's the squall about? Only a few horse marines and bumboat women. They have been startled like a company of penguins. Oh, my eyes! Wouldn't a whole broadside set em flying, Jack? Aye, just as them Frenchmen that you murdered on board the Big Thunderers, you called it i murdered them you rascal yes there was about five hundred of them killed they were only shot they were killed Only your conscience tells you it's uncomfortable you rascal you villain you ought to be keel-hauled and well paid Ah, oh, you're paid and paid off as an old hoke. damn you 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 oh i wish i had you on board ship i'd make your lovely carcass like a union jack full of red and blue stripes oh it's all very well but if you don't take to your heels you'll have all the old women in the village a whacking on you that's all i have to say about it you'd better port your helm and about ship or you'll be keel-hauled damn your what's the matter inquired marchdale as he arrived what's the cause of all the noise we have heard said sir francis has some village festival spontaneously burst forth among the rustics of this place i cannot tell the cause of it said henry Bannerworth. But they seem to me to be coming toward this place." "'Indeed, I think so, too,' said Marchdale. "'With what object?' inquired Sir Francis Varney. "'No peaceable one,' observed Henry. "'For as far as I can observe they struck across the country as though they would enclose something or intercept somebody.' "'Indeed, but why come here? If I knew that I would have at once told the cause.' And they appear armed with a variety of odd weapons," observed Sir Francis. "They mean an attack upon someone. Who is that man with them? He seems to be deprecating their coming. That appears to be Mister Chillingworth," said Henry. "I think that is he." "Yes," observed the Admiral. "I think I know the build of that craft. He's been in our society before. I always know a ship as soon as I see it." "Does you do?" said Jack. Yes, what do you mean, eh? Let me hear what you've got to say against your captain and your admiral, you mutinous dog. You tell me, I say. So I will. You thought you were fighting a big ship in a fog, and fired a few dozen broadsides or so. And it was only the flying Dutchman or the devil. You infernal dog! Well, you know it was. It might have been our own shadow, for all I can tell. Indeed, I think it was. You think? Yes that's mutiny i'll have no more to do with you jack pringle you're no seaman and have no respect for your officer now sheer off or i'll cut your yards why as for my yards i'll square em presently if i like you old swab but as for leaving you very well you have said so and you shall be accommodated damn you however it was not so when your knob was nearly rove through with a boarding pike it wasn't i'll have no more to do with jack pringle then twas more to other why be so mutinous because you aggravates me the cries of the mob became more distinct as they drew nearer to the party who began to evince some uneasiness as to their object surely said marchdale mr chillingworth has not named anything respecting the duel that has taken place no no but he was to have been here this morning said the admiral i understood he was to be here in his own character of a surgeon and yet i have not seen him have any of you no said henry then here he comes in the character of a conservator of the public peace said varney coldly however i believe that his errand will be useless since the affair is i presume concluded down with the vampire eh hey, said the admiral eh hey, what's that eh hey? what did they say if you listen they'll tell you soon enough i'll warrant maybe they will
1: and yet i'd like
0: to know now sir francis varney looked significantly at marchdale and then waited with downcast eyes for the repetition of the words down with the vampire resounded on all sides from the people who came rapidly towards them and converging towards a centre burn, burn, destroy burn, and vampire. kill the vampire no vampire Burn him, out. burn him out down with down him out. kill him then came mr chillingworth's voice who with much earnestness endeavoured to exhort them to moderation and to refrain from violence sir francis varney became very pale and agitated he immediately turned and without taking the least notice he made for the wood which lay between him and his own house leaving the people in the greatest agitation Mr. Marchdale was not unmoved at this occurrence, but stood his ground with Henry Bannerworth, the Admiral, and Jack Pringle, until the mob came very near to them, shouting and uttering cries of vengeance, and death of all imaginable kinds that it was possible to conceive, against the unpopular vampire. Pending the arrival of these infuriated town persons, we will in a few words state how it was that so suddenly a set of circumstances arose productive to an amount of personal danger to Varney such as up to that time had seemed not at all likely to occur we have before stated there was but one person out of the family of bannerworths who was able to say anything of a positive character concerning the singular and inexplicable proceedings at the hall and that that person was mr chillingworth an individual not at all likely to become garrulous upon the subject but alas the best of men have their weaknesses And we much regret to say that Mr. Chillingworth so far in this instance forgot that admirable discretion which commonly belonged to him, as to be the cause of the popular tumult which had now reached such a height. In a moment of thoughtlessness and confidence, he told his wife, Yes, this really clever man, from whom one would not have expected such piece of horrible indiscretion, actually told his wife all about the vampire but such is human nature combined at with an amount of firmness and reasoning power that one would have thought to be invulnerable safeguards we find some weakness which astonishes all calculation such was this of mr chillingworth's it is true he cautioned the lady to be secret and pointed to her the danger of making varney the vampire a theme for gossip but he might as well have whispered to a hurricane to be so good as not to go on blowing so as request mrs chillingworth to keep a secret of course she burst into the usual declarations of who was she to tell was she a person who went about telling things when did she see anybody not she once in a blue moon and then when mr chillingworth went out like the king of utter she invited the neighbours round about to come to take some tea under solemn promises of secrecy sixteen ladies that evening were made acquainted with the full and interesting particulars of the attack of the vampire on flora bannerworth and all the evidence inculpating sir francis varney as the bloodthirsty individual when the mind comes to consider the sixteen ladies multiplied their information by about four-and-twenty each we become quite lost in a sea of arithmetic and feel compelled to sum up the whole by a candid assumption that in four-and-twenty hours not an individual in the whole town was ignorant of the circumstances on the morning before the projected duel there was an unusual commotion in the streets people were conversing together in little knots and using rather violent gesticulations poor mr chillingworth he alone was ignorant of the causes of the popular commotion and so he went to bed wondering that an unusual bustle pervaded the little market town but not at all guessing its origin somehow or another however the populace who had determined to make a demonstration on the following morning against the vampire thought it highly necessary first to pay some sort of compliment to mr chillingworth and accordingly at an early hour a great mob assembled outside his house and gave three terrific applauding shouts which roused him most unpleasantly from his sleep and induced the greatest astonishment at the cause of such a tumult oh that artful mrs chillingworth too well she knew what was the matter yet she pretended to be so oblivious upon the subject good god cried mr chillingworth as he started up in bed what's all that all what said his wife Oh, what? Do you mean you heard nothing? Well, I think I did hear a little sort of something. A little sort of something? It shook the house. Well, well, never mind. It's no business of ours. Uh, Yes, but it may be, though. It's all very well. Does they go to sleep? That happens to be a thing I can't do. There's something amiss. Well, what's that to you? Perhaps nothing, but perhaps everything mr chillingworth sprang from his bed and began dressing a process which he executed with considerable rapidity which was much accelerated by two or three supplementary shouts from the people below then in a temporary lull a loud voice shouted down with the vampire down with the vampire the truth in an instant burst over the mind of mr chillingworth and turning to his wife he exclaimed i understand it now you've been gossiping about sir francis varney and have caused all this tumult i gossip well i never lay it on me it's sure to be my fault i might have known that beforehand i always am but you must have spoken of it who have i got to speak to about it did you or did you not who should i tell mr chillingworth was dressed and he hastened down and entered the street with great desperation He had a hope that he might be enabled to disperse the crowd and yet be in time to keep his appointment at the duel. His appearance was hailed with another shout, for it was considered, of course, that he had come to join in the attack on Sir Francis Varney. He found assembled a much more considerable mob than he had imagined, and to his alarm he found many armed, with all sorts of weapons. "Hurrah!" cried a great lumpy looking fellow, who seemed half mad with the prospect of a disturbance hurrah here's the doctor he'll tell us all about it while we go along for heaven's sake said mr chillingworth stop what are you about to do all of you burn the vampire burn the vampire hold hold this is folly let me implore you all to return to your homes or you will get into serious trouble on this subject this was a piece of advice not at all likely to be adopted and when the mob found that mr chillingworth was not disposed to encourage and countenance it in its violence it gave another loud shout of defiance and moved off through the long straggling streets of the town in a direction towards sir francis varney's house it is true that what were called authorities of the town had become alarmed and were stirring but they found themselves in such a frightful minority that it became out of the question for them to interfere with any effect to stop the lawless proceedings of the rioters so that the infuriated populace had it all their own way and in a straggling disorderly-looking kind of procession they moved off vowing vengeance as they went against varney the vampire hopeless as mr chillingworth thought it was to interfere with any degree of effect to stop the lawless proceedings of the mob he still could not reconcile it to himself to be absent from a scene which he now felt certain had been produced by his own imprudence so he went with the crowd endeavouring as he did by every argument that could be suggested to him to induce them to abstain from the acts of violence they contemplated he had a hope too that when they reached sir francis varney's finding him not within as probably would be the case as by the time he would have started to meet henry bannerworth on the ground to fight the duel he might induce the mob to return and forego their meditated violence And thus it was that, urged on by the multitude of persons, the unhappy surgeon was expiating in both mind and person the serious mistakes he had committed in trusting a secret to his wife. Let it not be supposed that we for one moment wish to lay down a general principle as regards the confiding secrets to ladies, because from the beginning of the world it has become notorious how well they keep them, and with what admirable discretion, tact, and forethought this fairest portion of humanity conduct themselves. We know how few Mrs. Chillingworths there are in the world, and have but to regret that our friend the doctor should in his matrimonial adventure have met with such a specimen. End of chapter 39